Hello and welcome to the first St. John's Allerton podcast. I'm really glad you're here and I hope you enjoy listening. We are a family church and loads of things happen throughout the week. This podcast is a place to hear about all things St. John's. It's a place where we are going to share content from our monthly God, Life and Everything congregation. So if you can't make it along to that, you don't have to miss out completely. This month we start with a conversation um, with Beck about children and family work at church. And then we have a great conversation from God, Life and Everything in January with Azariah France Williams about deconstruction and faith shifts. How do you find Jesus when you've got so many questions about life and faith? And then after some notices, um, we're going to have a regular Anglican slot where we ask Joy about certain things about the church. This month, what is the point of liturgy? That's enough from me. Let's get on to some content, starting with Beck explaining who she is. I'm Beck, and I am the uh, families worker. So mainly under fives, but families okay, nice. uh, here at St John's. We met in the baby group she runs on a Tuesday morning. Well, there's a bit of background noise, but we were hoping that it adds a little bit of atmosphere to the interview. Hopefully it's, that's what it does. Um, it's a great space for babies and their carers to come, have breakfast, chat, relax, and a way to be whatever they need it to be. Beck is employed part-time by the church, and she heads at work with families and preschoolers. I asked her what else she did throughout the week. Okay, so the other thing that we do, which is pretty, uh, takes up a lot of our week actually, is two by two, which is our Monday morning, uh, messy Monday or mad Monday. It's our toddler praise group. Sounds fun. And uh, we get together and we have all sorts of different activities um, out for for the preschoolers to do and for their parents. And um, yeah. Nice. And what, um, <laughs> to give people a, a. At the moment, we're at the baby group on a Tuesday, and the two by two meets on a Monday. What, um, what kind of amount of people do we get along with these things? We can hear a bit in the background, which is great. Yeah. At the moment, there's it's quite a lot of parents. There's probably about there. 10 at the moment, aren't there? Yeah. yeah. Probably about yeah. 10. And there's a few more come and some leave. Yeah. Amanda, what kind of amount of toddlers do you think we have on a Monday? On a Monday, we've usually got a about 20 families, maybe a little more than 20. It quite often sounds like a lot more than 20. <laughs> <laughs> I've not made it along, but I, I hear that people come in there like, yeah. wow, there's a lot going on and there's the kids a buzz. are having a great time. There is a buzz, so yeah. Fab, it? It's yeah. great and, you know, it's just such a great place for, um, primarily for uh, parents to meet one another and to share their lives, you know, share their life with one another, they share their life with us. Um, they get to do lots of interactive things, uh, activities with their children, and see their children grow and learn, and we learn together. Nice. <laughs> and over the last um, the last year or so, there's been quite a lot of baptisms in church, haven't mm, there? Mm. And a lot of the time, um, no one in church knows this this family or this <laughs> child. Um, and but I do. But, but you do, and, and Joy or someone always says, "Oh, this is a family that Beck knows." Do you know? You tend to get to know them through the two by two and baby. Group yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's we. I like to think of it as like a. It's a. It's a wide front door, isn't it? It's. It's like the. I don't know whether the word shop front is a good. <laughs> is a good word, Maybe. but you know, this is this is our welcome place where people come and and they get to know. You know that. Um, 
that this is a place where they can belong and and those that want to baptize their children feel like this is the place that you know they feel comfortable doing that and in two by two they hear about jesus they yeah. hear the gospel they think absolutely that's yeah simple. every week no matter what we do it's god-centered so mm. even if we're just talking about how useful our arms are we are absolutely talking about the fact that God gave us those arms to be useful and he wants us to use them, for example. <laughs> and I think what um, I think, and maybe you think as well, that if those people don't always come on a Sunday morning, but the family of St. John's is a lot bigger mm -hmm. than just the Sunday mornings. Absolutely. That the youth group don't, they meet, and I know a lot of them come, mm. but don't come on a Sunday morning, and, and there's other groups meeting so do you that's a yeah. way of kind of saying to those families that they're a part of our church family yeah, absolutely. even if they just don't come on a Sunday morning I think this is it and I think one of the things I've always thought is that even if they don't come on a Sunday typically this is their church and so many people when they've had times of crisis they'll they'll turn to us because this is their church or when they've got times of celebration this is their church you know when it's holiday club and they want you know they want to reconnect with us this is where they do it you know throughout the year we give them uh, opportunities and they they know that this is their yeah. this is their family we kind of got into it and but had even more to say and actually i had a little bit too much to say as well the other thing is about you know the groups that we we we're really you know because we we're open and we're just very sort of laid back and especially on a on a Tuesday there's no there's no agenda there's no we don't even do like singing time people know that they can just come and talk but they also know that they can talk to us and you know we yeah. get that kind of we get to walk their walk with them you know uh, share their parenting yeah, yeah. journey most of them are most of them are mums and I know a couple of dads yes. but they're on maternity yeah. leave so it tends to mm. and that's just how it goes and that, that's yeah. obvious but, but we um, love it when dads come too yeah but, but through <laughs> that journey of maternity leave I know from observing and being in a family when my wife was on that it, it's it's easy at times and it's really hard at times mm. and, and sometimes the parents will come here and just enjoy having a nice time and, and be able to support friends who've had few weeks of awful sleep or um, going the kids are going through a difficult phase because that happens doesn't it and it's great to have no expectation and you can just come and hang out and, and it's good to know that someone else feels like you do as well <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's and not just me yeah and they know that they can feed their kids however they feel comfortable and if one's having a tantrum that's okay because another yeah. one might be or if um yeah whatever they need Absolutely. and it's also great actually that it's they're coming into a church. For me, I think it's great because mm. it, there's a there's, uh, some people have had some different experience, or mm. they're nervous they won't be accepted or welcome, or the yeah. kid will be whatever noisy. And so, but it's lovely that they know that this is a place they can come. Absolutely, yeah. And for yes. this phase of life, babies is the best thing. That baby groups the best thing. But in years to come, hopefully, mm. they'll still feel like. St John's is still there for Well, I think that's it, you know, because we, we, we had a, we, we met in a hall, you know, some years ago, and, mm. and we, we sold that, obviously, and, and, and moved here, and I was really excited about that, because just being able to, it's like welcoming people into your home, <laughs> you know, it's like being able to say, yeah. come to mine, and, you know, have a brew at my house, mm. rather than saying, oh, we'll meet in a cafe, you know, and yeah. it feels, it feels a lot more like inviting people, um, to your home but a place that they you know like you say walking over the threshold of church could yeah. be really difficult 
And finally, I asked Beck if there was anything she needed help with or any way that we could pray for her ministry. Please always pray for our families. And, and um, there are, you know, there are a lot of families who, who are struggling. And um, I think it, you know, it's always good to keep holding them in prayer. And, um, and pray for the team as well, you know, for them to, to have wisdom, to know, uh, to look out for, you know, the families that need uh, extra support and for us to know, to have wisdom about how to, how to uh, support people. Mm. That's always really important, you know, not to just sort of, not to just be that place that's open uh, twice a week, but, but to go beyond that. And um, I hope that we do. It was great to hear from Beck. We've got a conversation with someone from another area of ministry next month. Now on to some God, Life and Everything, a conversation from January. God, Life and Everything is our new monthly gathering. Each month there's a guest speaker and we dig into a topic that they know a lot about. This is different to the kind of church we have on a Sunday morning. It involves a lot of talking, thinking, questioning and eating cheese and crackers. There's a talk followed by some discussion and a chance to think. And then we come back together for a question and answer session with our guest. In January, I started the conversation by asking Azariah what deconstruction was and what it had to do with his faith journey. Azariah is a priest in Manchester and a longtime friend of Joy and Clint. The Christianity that I grew up with had nothing to say and little to do with racism that was going around. The Christianity that I grew up with didn't have much to say to white working class lads that were looking for an adventure. The Christianity that I grew up in was about the boat was like, more like Noah and his ark. It was, let's all just huddle together, survive the storm, and then hopefully get to heaven on the other side. And not allow the world, not allow society to impact our lives and the minds. We're the, the safe, sacred, holy ones, and we need to stay in our little holy huddle. Jesus said we're the salt of the world, but so often the salt stays in the shaker. And so those stories of my voyages, were stories of beginning to reframe and say Christianity should have something to say about the transatlantic slave trade. And many abolitionists did, and many slaves who then became free did. And faith was a thing which gave those enslaved people a sense of hope that the world could be different in the future. And so for me, something of deconstruction is it's breaking down the walls that we, I... Christians can put themselves in rooms where there's walls around and actually breaking those walls down to show that there's a much bigger world out there. If you didn't know Never Ending Story, you probably won't know this, but there was a film called The Truman Show. Truman Show, anybody? Okay. <laughs> yeah, thank you. You can come again. <laughs> Next month, different speaker. <laughs> and um, Truman Show, there's this idea of this was all the world was. And in fact, Truman was taught to be afraid of the boundaries and the borders. Truman was 
was taught to be afraid of actually questioning things. And people were there to try and keep him in this small world. And so for me, deconstruction is about breaking down some of these walls and seeing that there's a wider world that God is interested in and a wider world that I can begin to inhabit. So that's amazing. And so many pictures in that that are really, really helpful, I think. What did that look like for you in terms of your journey in the church? What, because I know that you've been to a few different kinds of churches over the years. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? I can, and maybe you can make the podcast available. Um, there's a podcast where I speak on this topic for an hour and a half that came out this week. So um, set yourselves in. <laughs> <laughs> So the quick version is, um, my mum was part of the Church of England on the island of Nevis. Um, she came to this country in 1955 and went to the Anglican Church here, but found it was uh, a cold country and she got a cold welcome. So she then found herself going along to a Pentecostal church. Often when I say that, people think of a church full of black people. It was a working class white Pentecostal church. Um, out of a group of churches called the Elam Churches. And so she went there and found that when she sang, everybody else sang with her. And um, unlike tonight. <clears throat> it's all right. <laughs> I'm not hurt, honestly. I'm not. <laughs> Millennials. <laughs> and so, so she found a sense of community. However, her history and heritage was pretty much erased. And so there was this thing again about, it was about your soul. You know, are you saved? It was about your soul, some sort of your essence, your material, your skin, your life, your body didn't really matter that much. Um, and so, so I lived and worked in, in that kind of setting. I went to theological college with the Pentecostal church. I was a Pentecostal pastor for a few years and got stuck into evangelism so... Um, I remember I had a little team with me, and, and they were uh, wild and wonderful people, and sometimes inappropriate. <laughs> so um, they, would, they would have um, banners about gay people going to hell and things like this that they would hold up. Um, sometimes they would literally chase people down the road, telling them if they knew the gospel. And, and it, somehow it didn't really, wasn't really that effective. I'm not quite sure why. <laughs> But there was something about the way in which we thought it was about convincing people, persuading people into making some active commitment in the moment. But then often, once they were in, we kind of lost interest a little bit. And we wanted to go and get the next person. And the things around their lives that matter to them, the people, the networks, the communities around them, actually we were more interested in individuals not the institutions or the communities that house those individuals. So if that individual was in church, we were happy. But actually, it meant that they had to, in some ways, create a bit of a division between their life around them and the life that they were now beginning to have with their new Christian family. And so over time, that gap became a little bit too much for me to straddle. And so I began to move out of that and and then began to work ecumenically across the different sets of churches. I worked for a, a group called Youth for Christ. And we'd go and do evangelism 
in schools. Um, we traveled uh, uh, 10,000 miles, so about 20,000 young people in a year. Um, and it was absolutely crackers. It was exhausting. Um, but, but I was working with different types of churches and realizing that God was present there too. And so I think there was this, just this increasing growing and, and evolving for me. Amazing. And I guess in that process, you started uh, thinking new things about faith, new things about God. And uh, now that you are in uh, Manchester, back in Manchester, what does, a kind of, what does the life of worship in your community look like now? So I, I think of a, a couple of things. One is um, there are some beautiful um, African-Caribbean elders, so women in the late 70s, um, mid-80s. And every, every few weeks, I'll sit at the end of the service and invite anyone who wants to come and get a bit of prayer to come and get some prayer. And they'll always complain about their backs hurting them. And I'll always pray for their backs that are hurting them, and they go away hobbling as much, or sometimes even more, than when they arrived. <laughs> and so this week, we invited a masseuse to come. <laughs> because bodies matter. Bodies matter, you know, and I think my prayers were giving them a sense of comfort, but actually we can be practical material about things as well. So we booked a masseuse who came, so we had our Eucharist, so they had the service first, of course, and then afterwards, they, um, they got a massage, and they were delighted absolutely delighted so <laughs> did they skip out the building they rejuvenated almost <laughs> they shuffled out a bit quicker um and uh, yes yeah, so, so that's one example of material realities matter you know and and i just i love that i love that that's awesome that's a beautiful illustration isn't it have we got any more questions on the text we haven't got a question here but i have a question so go, go just ask it. that because yeah. um i you mentioned kind of listening to scripture in the, before you did your, uh, with, with the cloud of witnesses and your priest talking about people having Eucharist, which is important. And so with, with, I kind of wonder, well, you know, when you start taking all the walls down and you, mm. you can feel a little bit lost. Um, and when you start thinking about human pr solutions like massages, which is great. If, if you've got a bad back, good thing to do. But I wonder if there's a way within faith, what is it that you kind of hold on to when you, so you can end up with all, of, all the things broken? Is there something that you've you found really useful to hold on to in faith um, that's kind of kept you going as the, maybe as the boat's been rocking and stuff like that? So thank you very much. So that, you know, the image of the boat has been the constant image throughout today. And I want you to take your boats home and meditate and think about your own journeys. There's a story of Jesus asleep in a boat when a storm kicks in. And the passage begins, Jesus was going to the other side. As they're going to the other side, the storm kicks in. And what I found is that as I've been desiring to chart a new course or find a new shore with my faith, with my life, a storm will kick in. So there'll be um, some emotional turbulence as I begin to think new thoughts, as I begin to think the, what I was taught about the theory behind what the crucifixion was, when I begin to think about things like that, it begins to set up some turbulence. You know, was this um, God doing something to his son? Was this um, a force of evil doing something? You know, was this 
Jesus is living, uh, who's living in such a way that it attracted um, the forces of evil trying to extinguish him. You know, what was going on? And so the theory behind the story begins to, begins to cause some turbulence. Um, and um, or when I begin to think about, I talked about Noah and the ark, you know, is it that there's going to be an infinitesimal, tiny group of Christians who at the end of their natural lives will be with God and the rest won't. Is, is that, you know, is, when the theory behind what I was taught to believe um, begins to shake, there's turbulence. But Jesus is in the boat. Jesus is in the boat. And I, what I find is my prayers, um, as I've got, uh, as of in this journey of mine, my prayers, the, the words have gone down and the silence has grown. And so for me, there's a, a recognition of quiet Jesus in the boat. And there's a gentle assurance that he's in the boat with me through the storm. And we will get to the other side. In the turbulent times of life, there is a recognition of a quiet Jesus in the boat. There's a gentle assurance that Jesus is in the boat with me and I'll get to the other side. I love that, that there's a way we can always cling on to Jesus through all of our questions and all of our doubts. He went on to explain a little bit more. So there's emotional turbulence, but there's also relational turbulence as well. And so what can happen is um, I found myself in settings where I had questions about things like, is God really um, that bothered if someone is gay or not? Um, because I was brought up to believe that God really was bothered about that. Um, and, but I would hold these questions privately because when I asked them publicly, I'd be shut down or shot down. And so there's some relational turbulence because what begins to happen is as you begin to ask these big questions, it begins to feel as if you're not being loyal to the tribe. And sometimes it can feel as if you're, you're asking things that you're not meant to be asking. And so then you can begin to feel a bit of an outsider within a setting. And so there's relational turbulence too, and, and that is a cost sometimes a bit too much for people. So sometimes people stay in the tribe, but keep their distress to themselves. Yeah, I think we've, we, we, me and Joy have conversations like that. Sometimes we have them in private because we feel like that. If we, like me anyway, I'm training, so I'm allowed to ask questions. Um, where you, you do have those things and you think, I can't ask this in certain settings because what will people think of me? And, and I'm, you're still finding out and then you stand up in the front of church and people expect you to somehow know and not wonder. Um, but I think that, that's really, really lovely way of kind of expressing why we're here today because we wanted a space where it's absolutely okay to ask any questions. That they're good. And, and if you're wondering, if you have something kind of inside of you that needs to get out, you need to get it out and ask it. I ended up talking a little bit more than I should have there, but the point is still valid. Sometimes we have questions we just have to get out, and God, life, and everything is a place to do that. So come along if you are a questioning or thoughtful sort of person. And um, We were lucky to hear a poem from Azariah um, on the night, and we'll finish the podcast with that a bit later on. got some notices so that we're all up to date with what's going on at St. John's. 
just to remind everybody that Wednesday's church is open from nine till five. So come along, come for the day and do your work with the, your laptop and the, the church Wi-Fi or just come along for a pop in for a cup of tea and a chat and a piece of cake. It's great to see everybody as part of that. I also love to invite you for half past nine morning prayer with the staff team. We always meet and pray together and read the Bible together. And it'd be great if other people wanted to join us as well. I want to mention that on the 12th of March, after Cafe Church, we're going to have a bring and share lunch with everybody from the who comes along to the service. Bring your food and leave it at the start of the church and it'll all be sorted out and then ready to eat together when the service is finished. As well as the shared meal, we've been commissioned to record lockdown memories to be displayed in Sheffield Museum. So this will be available. There'll be some scrapbooks and art materials available throughout the meal. So whenever you're ready, you can go up and join in and um, share what you remember about lockdown in partnership with the COVID-19 Community Memorial Fund and Compassionate Sheffield. We are an Anglican church and I'm really glad of that. But it does mean that there are some things we do that other churches don't. Um, and what I think is great about that is that all these things are done for a reason. And I'm the sort of person that always likes to know the reason. So I met with Joy the other day and I asked her, why do we have liturgy? At St John's, we're not a church that is known for our love of really, really long liturgical prayers. And I've been in loads of churches over the years, churches that have hardly ever used any liturgy and churches that have used lots and lots of big words all of the time. I think what I like about liturgy when it's used really, really well is it gives us a framework and a scaffolding of time-honoured prayers that have been used by people for generations in all kinds of circumstances that we don't need to make up on the spot. People have really, really thought about those words and they're using those words as a framework for it to be able to manage all sorts of different life experiences, emotions and ways of relating to God. I really love the charismatic church and I love that we can draw close to God in intimacy and worship and that we can use our own prayers that we think up on the spot to really express what's going on in that moment and what God's doing. But sometimes we all have those days where we just can't bring it, where we don't feel great and we, we don't know what we think or we don't know what we feel and we don't feel like we've kind of come with our A game and on those days, there is something really reassuring about the structure of liturgy that holds us and does some of the heavy lifting for us in the places that we perhaps don't feel we can find our own words to express what we want to say to God. So I think at its worst, liturgy can be an excuse for not paying attention and for not focusing all of who we are in our worship. But at its best, liturgy can be transformative and can use the words of others to take us to a place of deeper connection with God as we offer ourselves into prayers that have been tried and tested for many years before us. We sometimes feel like in the Church of England that there's these given prayers and charismatic churches don't use them. They just use other kinds of liturgy, mm. the songs, and yeah. the same kind of repeated phrases are used anyway, aren't they? So, and they sort of, it's just another form of unsung yeah. 
words that are kind of given to you. We all have a liturgy, whether mm. we know we're using it formally or not. And uh, we need a framework around our worship because, well, maybe we don't completely need a framework around our worship. It's great to have those spontaneous times of worship that are just free and go into places that we don't expect. But in normal life, most of the time, we need a framework to help us feel safe and secure, to help us orient ourselves, to understand yeah. the direction of travel, to know what we're doing. We ended up getting into quite a long conversation and Joy started telling us all about her childhood. My experience yeah. of liturgy growing up is really, really interesting. That I went to a church that followed communion in the uh, ASB order of service book every single week from being, well, a babe in arms to being seven. And that meant that by the time when we sang the Gloria and I think we sang other bits of the liturgy and the tunes were the same every week, the words were the same every week. And that meant that by the time I was seven years old, I knew that communion service inside out. I knew all the words, I knew what was coming next. My brain had developed pathways of images that were associated with those words. I could still tell you the tune of the Gloria now. And actually, when I went back to a service in my 20s that used exactly the same form of communion, it was like being transported back into my childhood and being in that old church again and saying all of those familiar words. There is something about the ritual and the structure uh, that, that you use regularly that means you can fall into it and it can hold you in, in a way that perhaps you just can't manage on a week-by-week -week basis and uh, I do find that reassuring. Thanks for listening. I hope you found this interesting, informative and useful. We'd love to hear your comments and ideas so please get in touch about what you liked, what you didn't like, what you'd like to hear about another time. And to close I'm going to leave you with Azariah's poem from God, Life and Everything. See you next month. Breath flows around me and through me. I am its instrument to be fashioned and honed. The chisel and the file are the tools of my becoming. Hammer blows of destruction aid my true construction. What is not needed is discarded. The music from me will be laced with gravity, touching both heaven and hell with equanimity, with neither pride or revulsion. Beauty unleashed from the hide of the beast, the breaking waters of new life from the spent redundant womb. I am dumb without love's whisper erupting into song. I am dead without life's vibrant crescendo radiating through flesh. I am nothing without the everyone giving me meaning. As I decompose, the composition written to be played to me and through me will outlive me. When I die, the music will live on, then grow quieter and join the great ambient noise of the universe. Those who I will never meet will take its threads and weave new symphonies. Their power will contain something of what remains of what was once loaned to me. The timbre of their strong voices will contain a trace of a long forgotten tune once sung by me.